Hey everybody, this is Brent Kellogg, the pastor of Hill Spring Church in Sand Springs, Oklahoma. And this is our podcast. Thanks for taking time to join us today. Our prayer is that this would inspire you, build your faith, and help you take the next step in Christ. Enjoy the message. So, Mark's Gospel, chapter 15. And um, text my mom the other day and I said, this is uh, like... One of the like biggest messages of my life. I've been preaching since 97, 98. And this one just carries kind of a special place in my heart, but also just kind of carries some weight. I'm tackling something maybe I've never even tackled before. So we've prayed for you. We've prayed for this moment. We prayed over every one of these chairs that's in this room. And I want to do just that. I want to stop for just a second. I want to pray before we go any further that God would give us ears to hear and a heart to receive. Lord, we love you. God, it's a beautiful picture of the body coming together and and worshiping and and just the church joining together. God, as we come to this place in your word, I pray that you give us a mind to understand. Lord, there's some things, there's some things we just have to grasp. There's some things we just have to take by faith. But as we look at your word today, God, I pray we would see things we've never seen and how our life, our relationship with you connects. So God, give us ears to hear, heart to receive and we believe a fruit's going to be born. We believe a, a harvest of 30, 60, and 100 fold from today's conversation. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody says, amen. amen. Mark chapter 15 is where we're eventually going to read. When, when, I, when I was little, okay, I still am this way, um, my parents would say these words, because I said so. Uh-huh, your parents said that too? Yep, that punched all my buttons. <laughs> like, it got all of them. Now, keep in mind, I'm also the same kid that at the end of church had to go down to the altar and have the pastor pray for me because I had temper tantrums, right? So I was that kid. But like, I would hear my parents say, but, well, just, my dad was like, just because I said so. And when I was, I'm like, I will never tell my kids because I said so. Mm. And then I had kids, <laughs> you know? Like that promise lasted about two years when they could start talking, Right? And maybe that's not you. Maybe you were the perfect child. Maybe you're just like what Lionel Richie says, easy like Sunday morning. That's not your boy. And Lionel Richie clearly was not a pastor because there's nothing easy about Sunday mornings, right? I'm not that way. I've always been the I need to know why. Help me understand the why. Why can't I go? Why can't I have? Why can't we do? Why do I have to clean my room? I've always been the why guy. So much so that people will sometimes make decisions, and I've even learned this as a leader, that I see the decision they make, and maybe I don't agree with it, but then when I hear why they made that decision, I'm like, oh, okay, well, I, I, that makes sense. I kind of understand where you're coming from. In my mind, when I understand the why, it kind of helps my world square up just a little bit, okay? We've been walking, crawling through Mark's gospel, and we came to this verse a couple of weeks ago where we see one of those vulnerable moments where we see the humanity of Jesus. He's in the Garden of Crushing. That's the name of it, Garden of Gethsemane. And he he says this, Mark chapter 14, just a chapter ago, and he says, Abba, Father... Everything is possible for you. It's your world, it's your dirt, it's your earth, it's your rules. Everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. But, God, I want your will to be done, not mine. I mean, Jesus said it, that anything, everything is possible for you. 
And so I think the question and the stress of the moment that Jesus is wrestling with, he knows that there is a torturous, brutal execution on a Roman cross that is within his near future. He's like, God, you can do anything. Anything is possible. It's your world. You made it. So if anything is possible with you, are you sure I have to do this? Are you sure I have to go through this? And so Jesus wrestled in the garden with that. And, and so when I read that, it causes my personality to go, it is his earth. It is his world. It is his rules. He's the one that made it. And I stop and I go, then why? Why did Jesus have to die? Because God would use anything's possible. Couldn't you just go, okay, as long as you'll repent, we're good. You know, if you promise to do better, we're good. Why did Jesus have to go to the cross? And I think in that moment of his humility, in that moment of his humanity, he's wrestling, God, everything is possible with you. Let me just caution you too, because if you're like me, that you always have to understand, you always have to know the why, that can get you. That can, that can get in the way of your spiritual growth. That can get in the way of your faith. That can even get in the way of, of, of your process to salvation. Because I'm going to tell you, not everything in this world is going to make sense. Where in the world did this OSU football team come from? That makes no sense, y'all. Like some things just don't make sense. Why do bad people prosper? And sometimes it just seems like good people just struggle and struggle and struggle. Why do babies have to die and it feels like murderers get to live a long life? Like if you try to understand the why of everything and you let that control you, it can sometimes cause some bitterness and resentment. It can even, even cause some people to kind of reject God or push away from God. I, I don't trust God. And so in Romans chapter 12, Paul has this moment, and it's not necessarily his intention, but he gives us a little bit of insight into some theology. And Romans 12 is just so good. It's so deep in, in theology. Romans 12, it, it, it says this. For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, and he's talking to Christians, okay? Listen, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. So number one is a great lesson for us. Let's be humble, love justice, walk humbly, right? So, so don't walk around like you're all that in a bag of chips. So don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to, but think soberly, and I'm reading this out of the New King James, it says, for God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. So he's saying, listen, don't walk around like, well, God saved me. Of course he did. <laughs> Why wouldn't he? Like, be humble. Listen, but then he makes this statement at the end of this sentence. God has dealt to each one. Keep in mind, for everyone, he's writing to Christians. For everyone, God has dealt to each one of us believers a measure of faith. I'm gonna take that. And I'm going to compare it to another one of Paul's writings in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Again, reading out of the New King James. And Paul says that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. Lost. From, like we might be delivered from the world, right? And he says, listen, for not all have faith. There are some that do, that's us as Christians. 
We have this measure of faith that he writes about in Romans chapter 12. And then he says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, not everyone, not all have faith. And I, I love the New Living. That's where I read out of. But sometimes the older translations just say it. They maybe say it in a way that we're familiar with. Or sometimes they just say it better. Not all have faith. So listen. This is what this means. When you're talking to someone about your faith with Jesus, when you're talking about someone about your relationship with God, and they look at you like a cow at a new gate, it doesn't make any sense to them, or, or they don't want to hear about it, you're all excited and they're kind of annoyed by it, you have something they don't have. You have faith, for not all have faith. For some folks, when you hear the biblical narrative of creation, in Genesis, in the beginning, God created. That's easy for you to take. Yeah, I mean, I know it wasn't there, but yeah. You know why that's easy for some people? Because they have this measure of faith that Romans chapter 12 talks about. For other people, they're like, well, I wasn't there. There's no footage like pictures or it didn't happen, right? And so some people struggle with accepting the fact that God created this. Why? Because they don't have that measure of faith. For some, man, I prayed and I gave my life to Jesus, repented of my sins, invited him to be my Lord and Savior. It's the best thing I've ever done. Man, it was so freeing. There's a freedom with that. There's other people that are like, how could a guy who lived 2,000 years ago, like I know he could teach, and, but how, what, is, what in the world does that have to do with now in Oklahoma in 2023? And, or, or maybe they're like, that's just not my thing. Why? You have something they don't have. And according to Paul, it's this measure of faith. This measure of faith sometimes is what helps square things spiritually in our world. I may not always understand why babies die and murderers live. I may not always understand why good people struggle and bad people prosper. But we have something they don't have. Can they get it? Yes, they can get it. It would start with repentance. It would start with making Jesus their Lord and Savior. And then that measure of faith begins to grow. My caution with our conversation today, because it's about the why did Jesus have to die. My, convert, my, my caution is be careful with the why. Okay? But my prayer is that today's conversation maybe will help us understand why Jesus did really go to the cross. Because within a chapter in Mark, you have him in the garden going, God, anything's possible with you. Are you sure we have to do this? And then in Mark 15, we're going to read in just a moment where Jesus was nailed to the cross and he died. Listen, it's okay to ask questions. God is not afraid of your questions. God is not afraid of science. He's not. Okay? Just don't let the why ruin your relationship with God. Okay? And, and here's the truth. He's God the Father. Sometimes God gets to say, because I said so, all right? So faith is what helps you and I, those of us that have faith, it's what helps us reconcile the things of God. And, I, and I'm hoping that that Romans 12, 3, that we're gonna understand because of that measure of faith why Jesus had to die. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. All right, Mark chapter 15. I'm gonna read several verses here. You'll notice I'm gonna skip a few. Just We've got a, we got a lot to do. On your outline today, if you're a note taker, uh, there's just a few blanks to fill in. We'll get to those rather quickly. But on the back, I'm gonna hit a lot of verses today. And, and typically this happens quite a bit. Somebody will go, number one, you talk really fast, okay? 
you just listen really slow. I can't help you, right? (laughs) Number two, they'll go, what was that verse that you said? Okay, today I'm giving you the verses that I said. And so I'm just listing them out there, kind of put in parenthesis the reference to that, um, because this is almost kind of a legal court case, if you will, trying to be Perry Mason up here, or Ben Matlock, right, of why Jesus had to die. And I want to show you some things in Scripture and and kind of build this as as we go along. All right, you guys ready? All right, so Mark chapter 15, verse 25, it was 9 o'clock in the morning when they crucified Jesus. A sign announced the charge against him. It read, King of the Jews, verse 27. Two revolutionaries were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Verse 33, at noon, darkness fell across the whole land until it was 3 o'clock. Then at three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabbatani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? Verse 35, some of the bystanders misunderstood and they thought that he was calling for the prophet Elijah. And so one of them ran and filled a sponge with some sour wine, holding it up to him on a, to hold up to him on a reed stick so he could drink. Wait, wait, wait. Let's see whether Elijah comes to take him down. Verse 37, then Jesus uttered another loud cry and breathed his last period. He's now dead. Verse 38, and the curtain in the sanctuary in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, not bottom to top, not some guy who's big and boss and comes in. No, 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 no. It, it literally was God tearing that veil in the temple. We're going to talk about it. He was tearing it from top to bottom. It was torn in two. Verse 39. And when a Roman officer who stood facing him saw that he died, like he had this moment of revelation, this man truly was the Son of God. Mark's telling the story of Jesus' crucifixion and his death. And yes, I did leave out some verses. It's a, it's a big conversation today. And um, you might tell Mazios we're going to be a little bit late, but we're, we're going to get through this, right? Okay, Genesis chapter 1 is where I want to begin. With building this conversation of why did Jesus have to die, I want to go all the way back to in the beginning. John's gospel, not Mark, John's gospel, John chapter 1 tells us that in the beginning, Jesus existed. He was there. It says that God created through him, for him. Jesus existed in the beginning. So, Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I want you to see something. We're not, we're not going to look at the verse at the end, but at the end of Genesis chapter 1. So, you know, day 1, day 2, day 3, day 4. At the end of Genesis 1, he created human beings in his own image. So, God created all the birds and the bees and the trees and all the things, right? Now, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 8. It said, then the Lord God planted a garden. So all of this had been created, okay? Man had been created. And then it says, then, so if you're you're reading in, in the timeline of things, all this stuff was created, and then God created and planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. Now, I don't know about you, but like you read the children's Bible with your kids and tell them the story about Adam and Eve and the sneaky snake. Like it looks like they were created in the Garden of Eden, but when you back away from that in the creation narrative, God created all this stuff and then he created a garden and then he placed Adam and Eve 
in the garden. All right, so this is what I want you to see about Eden, the place of Eden. It represents, it is in this story, it's where God's presence was. It's where God's presence abode. That, that was God, that's where he had his relationship with Adam and Eve. Genesis 3 talks about God came walking in the cool of the day looking for Adam and Eve because they knew him intimately. They knew him face to face. They had relationship. They were in his presence in the Garden of Eden. Okay? By the way, the word Eden in Hebrew, catch this, it means delight. It means luxury. It means finery. Okay? So thanks for messing that up, Adam and Eve. You know what I'm saying? We could have all been trophy husbands and wives, right? But no. So it says he placed them. God didn't create Adam and Eve in the garden. He placed them there, okay? So that means there's life outside of the Garden of Eden. There's special life inside of the Garden of Eden. If that makes sense, say amen. Okay, you guys with me? It's about to get a whole lot harder. Like, nudge your neighbor right now. It's a good wake-up call, okay? Tell a good story right here. All right, Genesis chapter 2, verse 9. We were just in verse 8, verse 9. It said, The Lord made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful, that produced delicious fruit, in the middle of the garden. So he's talking about, so there's life outside of Eden. Specifically here, he's talking about the Garden of Eden. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. All right, we have two trees. We have the tree of life that represents God's way, God's will. If you do things God's way, if you follow his will, man, you're gonna head down the right path. But then there is the other tree, the tree of knowledge or the tree of understanding, if you will. All right, so I got two trees with me up here. See if I can get this to, I know you guys over there on the left side might struggle seeing that, but it says life. Everybody see that? This is the tree of life. We good? We good? We good? And then we have the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and, and you can tell it's not as, is not as good of a tree. It's a little thin. You know what I'm saying? Oh, man. Whoop. Okay, two trees. Tree of life. This will come into play. Tree, and, and it says knowledge of good and evil, which I think, like in the translation, we, we've kind of confused the label for that tree just a little bit. So it's, it's the tree of understanding the difference between good and evil, okay? Let me, let me unpack that to you. It really could be called the tree that experiences the difference between good and evil. Why? Because Adam and Eve already knew good. They were trophy wife, trophy husband. They were living bougie. They didn't have to work. They sat around and just fed each other grapes. What do you want to do today? I want to take a walk in the cool of the day. What do you want to do? I want to go fishing, right? Like they just, like Adam is a trophy husband. And thanks for that, Eve, you know? Okay, so they knew good. When they ate from the tree of experiencing the difference between good and evil, 
all of a sudden there was a knowledge of evil that they did not have before in their state of innocence. They just walked with God. Like they were naked, didn't know it. And they just walked with God. But then when the sneaky snake convinced them to just try this fruit, all of a sudden, yeah, now they have this knowledge that there is a difference between good and evil. All they knew before that was good. All they knew before that was just the experience of God's presence and his relationship and the joy and the luxury and the finery of living in the Garden of Eden. It's this knowledge that if you go your own way, if you have to experience it for yourself, if you like, well, I, I want to see if I really do die from eating this fruit. You know, it, it's that experience that if you do these things, if you go your own way, I'm not going to trust God's way. There's a knowledge that comes with that. All right, so Genesis chapter two, verse 15. Again, the Lord placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat, you may freely eat from the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of knowledge, the difference between good and evil. You got all this, just this one tree. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die, okay? So again, he emphasizes, he placed them there. And now it says, out of all these trees, just, just don't go this way. Follow my way. Just, just don't go that way. Now, the trees are long since gone. Not exactly sure what happened to them. Some great theories out there. Some think the flood got the Garden of Eden, okay? It's a great conversation, just not for our conversation today. There's a couple of things to know about the Garden of Eden. Number one, it was created after creation, Okay, number two, Adam and Eve were placed. They weren't created in the Garden of Eden. They were placed there. Number three, God's presence was there. That's where they had their face-to-face -face intimate relationship with God. And then it was full of trees, but there were two significant trees, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Okay, And so I, I don't know. We all kind of know the narrative, the story of the sneaky snake where the devil, Lucifer himself, used a serpent to convince Eve, like, you can eat that fruit and you won't die. Like, I don't know about you, but like when I imagine this, like I think if I, okay, God said if I eat that, I'll surely die. And I, we always pretend it's an apple, but I don't know, it's probably something like a pomegranate or mango. I don't know. We always just pretend like, we, you know, like on the movies back in the day. You know, like we think if we eat the fruit, it's poison. And so the, the enemy's trying to deceive them and lie. Them. And by the way, we still all have our own versions of two trees. We have God's way that works every time, or we have this, you can do this and it won't hurt you. I mean, are you really gonna die if you eat that fruit? Are you, are you really gonna, you know? They ate the fruit. They experienced it. Their eyes we're open, okay? And sin still does this today, and I apologize. I'm sorry. This is a holy moment. This is a holy place where God's people gather, and it's awkward to talk about sin in these moments. But I want you to know sin still lures us to that tree. Sin still does that to this tree. For example, well, I mean, you can do drugs and it not kill you. Like, you can, you can take a drug and you won't die. You can do a drug one time and, and you see, you weren't, you didn't get addicted. You're not a drug and you're not addicted now. You can try it and, and you'll live. But you have this experience. You have this knowledge now that you wish you didn't have. 
Sex outside of marriage. It won't kill you. Everybody does it. Probably one of the lies that the enemy would use, right? Right? But you do it and then you wake up and you think, what have I done? You have this experience that you can't undo. You want to take it back. You want to take the, like spit the fruit back and put it back on there and tape it. But you can't because you now have experienced the difference between good and evil. We try it for ourselves. We didn't die, but there's also something that comes along with it. They also had the knowledge that they were naked, meaning they stepped outside of the covering of God. When you step outside of the covering of God, when you step away from doing things his way, you're now naked. I'm gonna tell you, and all my life, I have never not known I'm naked. I know that's bad grammar, I get that, but I have never just been walking in the house and walk past the mirror and go, where does that happen? Like, I just, you always know you're naked. You always know that. And they ate from the tree that experiences the difference between good and evil. In this moment in their choosing, they rejected God's way and they went their way. God told them, if you do this, you're sure to die. Meaning there's a curse upon you now. And when Adam and Eve ate the fruit, they entered into that curse. And that curse not only fell on them, but on their kids, upon their grandkids, their great-grandkids, because Adam and Eve broke the deal. Let's say this, you buy a house, okay? And when you die, the bank doesn't go, oh, well, I mean, he's a good dude. You don't know anything else on the mortgage. That ain't how that works. When you die, your estate takes over the mortgage. It's not, oh, you're dead? Okay, but no, 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 no. No, your kids and your grandkids have to finish paying out the mortgage. The estate is what inherits the debt until it gets paid. Adam and Eve and their kids and their grandkids and their grandkids. You and I, there were two. There was a man and there was a woman. We are all descendants of them. We are paying for their mortgage. We have their debt, okay? So the curse, the debt that they brought upon themselves, it impacts their kids, their grandkids, their great-grandkids. It impacts every one of us. We are all descendants of Adam and Eve. Does that make sense? Check on your neighbor because I feel like I lost him. So the sneaky snake convinced them to eat this. And, and so in Genesis 3, God hands down discipline. He deals with the snake. He deals with the woman. He said, having kids is gonna be really painful, <laughs> right? And then he's like, Adam, go get yourself a job. Like, you gotta work. That's all, obviously the BKV version of that, all right? So Genesis chapter three, verse 21. And the Lord made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. They're naked. Something had to die to cover their nakedness, so... Sometimes I just feel like an idiot. I don't know if you ever experienced this or not, but like you look on, you know, I used to be the guy when I, went, I wanted a shirt, I wanted to go look at the shirt and I wanted to compare to the other shirts that were there. If I was gonna go buy a belt, I wanted to touch the belt. I wanted to feel the belt. I wanted to make sure the belt fit, right? But man, we live in an online shopping world. I'm gonna be honest with you, it's pretty nice come Christmas time. I ain't been to a mall in years. You can get on Amazon, right? But, and, and so Amazon has this cool thing where like you're looking at something, it'll go, try it in the room. And you like hit this little button and it's like, <gasps> right? It's cool. Like 
Um, sometimes you can, you can look at things on Amazon and, you, and you, they look like they're this big. It's all, oh, this, this will be awesome. And it shows up and it's this big in your mailbox, right? You know what I'm talking about? Come on, that's happened to you too? Jerry ordered some salt the other day. Thought it was this cute little bag. Shows up in like a 10 pound bag. A little exaggerated. I got Amazon. I found this lamb. And it was really big. This is what they sent me. Adam and Eve ate the fruit, realized they were naked. Verse 21 said, And the Lord made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. Something had to die to cover their nakedness. You mean it? Bruh, you ain't right. No. Something had to die to remedy their consequences. Something had to, I'll put the knife up, will that help? And rest easy. Verse 23. So the Lord banished them from the Garden of Eden. So he put them there, then he removed them. And he sent Adam out to get a job, cultivate the ground from which he had made, 24, sending them out, the Lord stationed. I want, I want you to watch this real quick. So they're now moved out of the Garden of Eden. And, and just notice some words here. And the Lord stationed mighty cherubim to the east of the Garden of Eden, and he placed a flaming sword. So there's, there's these two big angels. This is the word cherubim here. And then there's this fire, this fiery sword. It flashed back and forth to guard the way back into the garden, guard the way back to the tree of life, okay? Adam and Eve were placed outside the garden. Keep in mind, the Garden of Eden, it was God's presence. That's where they had relationship with him. That's where they walked with him in the cool of the day. They knew God face to face. The only way now, according to Genesis 3, 24, to get back into the garden was to go through two really mean, mighty, they were mean, but these big cherubim and a flaming sword. And your chances as a human ain't so good. The only way to get back into the garden was to die. You basically had to die. But then, okay, so, so I get through this sword, you know, sorry for the sound effects, and, and I'm in the garden, but I'm like, I'm dying, right? What's the point? I can't enjoy this finery. I can't enjoy this luxury of gardening. I can't enjoy God's presence because now I'm dead. Two angels, flaming sword, it's very important, right? And is, you would think at this point in the story, God would be done. He'd be like, listen, I gave you your chance. I placed you in this garden. You, Adam, you were a trophy husband. Eve, you had it easy. And you guys chose your own way. All you had to do was go my way and you chose your own way. And, and you think God would abandon them, but he didn't. Even in the act of killing the animal to provide clothes for them, God said, I'm taking care of you. God said, I'm not abandoning you. His message to Noah in just three chapters, in Genesis chapter six, is Noah, this place is really bad, but I haven't forgotten you. His message to Abraham, Abraham, I haven't forgotten you. His message to the children of Israel in slavery in Egypt was I have not forgotten you. God did not abandon. He removed Adam and Eve out of the garden, but he did not abandon humanity. So I want to fast forward to Moses, okay? We've left the garden. Moses is leading the children of Israel out of slavery of Egypt. 
okay? Moses wrote the first, God, God gave Moses the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, okay? They were slaves. They didn't know how to live. They'd always been told what to do, what to work, what to eat. They were always kind of lived to the mercy of somebody else. And so God brings all these slaves out. And so he has to give them laws, he has to give them rules. A lot of them are governance. Some of them are relational. Some of them are health care. Like, what do you do when that gets all infected? And so God gives them all of these rules. One of the rules he gives them is found in Leviticus chapter 17. And it talks about the importance of life. God created life. God breathed life into Adam. That's why we should cherish every human life. I love you. Abortion is not a political issue. It is a spiritual issue. You cannot live without blood. Blood is the source of life in the body. So be careful what you do with blood is the warning that you're going to see here. Leviticus chapter 17, pop it up. It says, for the life of the body is in its blood. I have given you the blood on the altar to purify you. I have given you the blood on the altar to purify you, making you right with the Lord. There is power in the blood. It's not just a song that we sing. It is the blood It's given for the exchange for a life that makes purification possible. So when you take Leviticus chapter 17 and you lay it on top of Genesis chapter 3 where they got kicked out of the garden and the only way to get back into the garden was to die. And when you die, you shed your blood. Blood gives life. And blood makes purification possible. Hebrews chapter 9 says it this way. In fact, according to the law of Moses, what law? Leviticus chapter 17. Nearly everything was purified with blood, for without the shedding of blood, there is no remission, there is no forgiveness of sin. Okay? So, Moses wrote the first five books. God gives him all these laws. I just read one of the really important ones. And then he says, listen, we need to build a tent of meeting. We need to build a tabernacle, if you will. And God was very specific the instructions he gave to Moses. You guys still with me? God gave him instructions of what the tabernacle needed to look like. Let me show you some of those. Exodus 25, he says, make it, he's talking about a lampstand, make it with six branches going out from the center stem, three on each side. The lampstand, six branches. What else has branches? Trees. Exodus 26, verse 31. For inside of the tabernacle, make a special curtain of finely woven linen, decorate it with blue, purple, and scarlet thread with skillfully embroidered cherubim. After Moses' tabernacle, then David comes along and starts stockpiling all these resources, and he wants to build a temple, and it's Solomon's turn to build the temple. Let's talk about the temple that Solomon built. It's even more ornate and beautiful. 2 Chronicles 3. He paneled the main rune of the temple with cypress wood. Wood comes from trees. He overlaid it with fine gold, decorated it with carvings of palm trees. They didn't put trees in there. They carved them out in the walls. He overlaid the beams, thresholds, walls, and doors throughout the temple with gold, and he carved figures of cherubim on the walls. Verse 15, From the front of the temple, he made two pillars that were 27 feet tall, each topped by a capital extending upward, another seven and a half feet. That's really tall. Verse 16, he made a network of interwoven chains and used them to decorate the tops of the pillars. He He also made 100 decorative pomegranates, fruit, 
and attached them to the chains. Chapter 4, verse 13, the 400 pomegranates that hung from the chains on the capitals, two rows of pomegranates for each of the chain networks that decorated the capitals on top of the pillars. So you walk into Solomon's temple and there is wood, which is made out of trees. And then there's carvings of trees. And then there's fruit. There's pomegranates everywhere. There's this thing that looks like an animal. You look at, like, it's the garden. There's cherubim. There's this veil that has these two mighty angels. There's cherubim. And there's this altar right between them. And you know what the altar has on it? It has fire. It's a picture of Genesis chapter 3, verse 24, in the Garden of Eden that Adam and Eve got kicked out of. You guys with me? Because of the law that God gave Moses in Leviticus, and just like the lamb that was killed to cover Adam and Eve's nakedness, a spotless, unblemished lamb could be a sacrifice. Its blood, if it was a, if it was a spotless, unblemished lamb, its blood could cover the priest enough that he could walk. The blood gave him the ability to walk past the fire, past the cherubim, and he could go into the Holy of Holies, but it was only one guy. The only way to get through the cherubim to get back in the Garden of Eden was to die. Something had to die so that the priest could go through the cherubim, through the fire, into God's presence. The lamb would be killed outside. His blood would be carried inside. It would be like a hall pass to get him through. The reason for the sacrifice... It was a very bloody, graphic. Like I pulled out the knife. Some of y'all freaked out down there. Like ain't no blood. Ah, the horror. Okay. Think about being on the scene in Jerusalem. You okay? Gonna have nightmares? Blood squirting everywhere. Okay. It was a very visual, graphic lesson and a graphic reminder that real death happens when we choose our own tree, just like he said. And they would have to sit there and watch the best lamb of the flock. He was perfect, he was unblemished. They would have to sit there and watch him die and bleat for his life. And it was, it was horrific, the slaughterhouse. And it was a reminder to those who saw it that Sin has real consequences. Now the fruit, like, you know, it didn't immediately kill you. It wasn't immediately poison, but God said you were sure to die. The other reality is you can't choose this tree and stay here. If you choose this tree, if you choose to go your own way, if you choose to know the knowledge and experience evil for itself instead of trusting what I tell you, if you choose this, you got to go out there. Jesus was tempted, but he never sinned. He was a spotless lamb in the garden where he wrestled with that why. Like that's his humanity. But he also had the DNA of God in him that gave him the supernatural strength to overcome and endure the temptation throughout his life that constantly came at him. 
He never had to eat from that tree because he was the son of God. He had God's DNA in him. Even Rome, we talked about this last week, even Rome declared him innocent, but they murdered him anyway. So when Jesus died, the veil in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The two cherubim, the altar that was there, the fire, that picture of the garden, when the veil was torn, it was torn from the top, meaning no man could do that. That was God's way of saying the curse that Adam and Eve brought in, it's done. We don't need this anymore. Bible says, now I can boldly go before the throne of grace. The curse that Adam caused when Jesus, the perfect, sinless person that was never tempted so much that he gave into it and sinned, when he, he was enough to overcome the curse that Adam started when he ate from the fruit of that tree. Galatians 3.13, just about done. Hang with me. But Jesus has rescued us from our curse pronounced by the law. Which law? The law that said, don't eat that fruit. If you eat that fruit, you'll die. Jesus rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law when he was hung on the cross. What are crosses made out of? Trees. He took himself, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is anyone who is hung on a tree. Christ took upon himself the curse that Adam caused. Adam brought that curse upon himself, brought it upon his descendants, which that includes you and I. Jesus died, he shed his blood, he paid the mortgage so the estate could be set free. He went through the cherubim, he went through the sword. He was buried in a garden, by the way not just a coincidence. Remember, if you die in the Garden of Eden, what's the point? I'm dead. I, I mean, I can't experience God. I can't know anything because I made it through the cherubim, made it through the fire, but I'm dead, right? While he was in that garden, on the third day, Jesus came back to life. He rose again. His resurrection is important because he overcame the curse. He became the curse, and then he overcame the curse. It all started on a tree. It all ended with a tree. Jesus would pay for the curse of humanity that Adam caused. You eat from this tree, it's the curse. And you can still eat from this tree. But if you eat from this tree, life. And Jesus said, you, it's possible. Here, how, how, how do I eat from that tree? Romans says it this way that if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the fruit. You ever done that? Maybe you did a long time ago and you walked away. Maybe this has been your story. Man, I've just been eating fruit off this and eating fruit off this. And you talk about experiencing good and evil and waking up with regret. Boy, that, that's been, it's been my life. I'm ready to change trees. Today's your day. You confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart. God raised him from the dead, meaning he overcame the curse. You shall be, can be, will be saved. You ready? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to talk to anybody. I'm not going to ask you to walk out. Just right there where you're seated. I want to lead you in a simple prayer. We're going to, we're going to eat the fruit of salvation today. 
Don't ask nobody to move around. Don't get up. I'm just about done. Because somebody sitting in front of you or behind you may be ready to take their bite of eternity. All across this room, every head bowed, every eye closed, everyone just being real still for just a moment. And if you know today that you're not in right relationship with God, I just simply invite you to pray this prayer. It's not a magic chant. It's not magic words. It's the best way I know how to confess and believe. And it starts with just right there at your seat praying this prayer. Are you ready? Maybe online. Just pray this prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, right there, just dear Heavenly Father, I come to you today. I need you. I've gone my own way sinned, I've made mistakes, and I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? Would you come into my life? Would you change me? Make me a new person? I may not fully understand all of this, but I'm taking a step of faith. I'm asking for that measure of faith. Today, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. Every head still bowed, never eyes still closed. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I just wanna pray for you. We had multiple in first service. And today, if you're here and you prayed that prayer with me and you surrendered your life to Jesus, again, just, just real bold, lift up your hand. Nobody's looking around, just lift it up. Anybody, lift it up high. Lift it up high. Okay, okay, all right, buddy. Anybody else? Okay. Spirit of the living God, you see these hands today. Lord, receiving that measure of faith. Father, I thank you for Jesus that was willing to shed his blood to pay for our estate. Father, I pray you... You help them understand. This is such a big thing, such a hard thing. Lord, just give them the faith to, to understand how to walk out, take their next step as a Christian. Father, bring great people in their life just to encourage them. Such a hard journey. The enemy's always trying to pull us down. Father, I pray you just fill them with your spirit today. Lord, the enemy's gonna try to tell them this isn't real. God, this is not an emotional decision. This is an eternal decision. And we lock it down in our heart and we say thank you for the blood of Jesus beautiful, matchless name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody says, church, we had six people give their life to Christ today. Come on, let's give Jesus a big shout of praise. Come on. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there's a couple of things I want to invite you to do. First, hit the subscribe button. That way you won't miss a single episode. Secondly, if this message has impacted you and you would like to help us reach others, visit our website at hillspring.tv and hit the Give Now button so that we can take this message around the globe. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.